most people are looking for a real deep sense of belonging and that's driven through a sense of shared culture and community and that's you know it's not going to be something that you can build overnight with a party or bagpipes <laughs> hello and welcome to working it is a podcast about doing work differently from the financial times i'm isabel barrett the ft's work and careers editor and on today's episode we're talking about perks And what do I mean by that? I'm talking about anything that's laid on by an employer that's designed to appeal to staff and keep them happy. We've heard about some really weird perks. My favourites are puppy parties and cocktail making sessions, neither of which we've had at the FT. But I'm joined by my colleague Andrew Hill, the management editor, and he's going to help me dissect what these perks actually are, what they mean, and most of all, why they've become such a trend and if it's even right to offer them at all at the moment. Andrew, what are some of the weirdest perks you've heard of and what purpose are they supposed to serve? I've written about flow dojos, which is a kind of um, trapeze-come-climbing frame which you can use to simulate skiing or surfing. And the idea is supposed to provoke flow, which I think some of the tech companies installed at, at certain points. And one of the biggest perks that came out during the pandemic was a $10,000 prize for one employee who'd come in at least one day a week into the offices of CoStar, which is a real estate company. So you need to aim off a little bit for that. Even when they stopped running that, they were offering a Tesla car and I think a holiday in Barbados to people who were coming in regularly to try and get up the number of people in the office. So there's a couple. Quite fancy a trip to Barbados or a Tesla car. We'd all love that. (laughs) And what else has been going on? So we've got Steelcase, the office furniture company that I spoke to earlier this year, who to try and get their employees back to the office, they were offering barbecues and they'd set up, uh, they were using the company bagpipe band and steel band to entertain employees when they were coming back. I think bagpipes would probably make me turn away from reception if I heard them going at the FT. But we've talked to Alicia Reese. She was the first voice you heard. She's the director of communications at Steelcase and she's going to tell us a bit more about what they've been up to. Are these things like puppy parties, free food, alcohol, do they actually work in getting people back to the office? Some of these things might sound gimmicky, but food is so important. Think about the role that food plays in society and community. It's absolutely important. And you're right. In fact, we made a small change to the experience of our food offering in the office space in Munich. And we decided to offer people more choice and control over their meals at lunchtime. And it sounds like a really small change. But at that point, when these introductions were made, was when we saw a spike in numbers of our employees returning. So you're right. Is it a free lunch at Steelcase? It isn't a free lunch, no. (laughs) But you're welcome to join us at any time. (laughs) The FT is giving us a free coffee. So... um... That's our perk. That's our back to work perk. You know, that's nice. It is nice. (laughs) (laughs) It was a nice coffee. But I, you know, I think the perk gets people over the threshold. Is that your experience? And then it becomes habit when we have the the spaces and the collaboration. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to drive the kind of long term change that you're looking for. They might drive a short term spike to get people back into the office to stroke the puppies. I mean, I would probably do that too. But I think this new focus on mental health and well-being that's taken centre stage is a much more effective ground to motivate employees to actually want to come back to the office for the long term. 
I have to be clear, it wasn't just a free coffee at the FT. We do have the famous cake trolley. Andrew, have you been in to enjoy that? Well, it's not a trolley any longer because of the uh, sanitary conditions. And I somehow feel like the motivation that was the sound of the trolley arriving with its clinking teacups uh, is lost a bit when it's simply deposited in a kitchen for us to... It hasn't attracted me in. Oh, well, I'm always here for a hygienically wrapped Bakewell slice. What other things are people doing at the moment? I know that it's not just about cake. There are generous cash perks that are going on right now. What are some of the things that you've heard about? Well, I think it depends a little bit how the company is structured. There are companies that are working entirely remotely now. And for example, I spoke to Phil Libin, who was the founder of Evernote and now runs a product studio called All Turtles. They're giving $800 to every employee to improve their working conditions. That's the only condition that they've applied to it on the grounds that they used to spend that much on offices. So rather than having one communal coffee machine, somebody who wants a high-end coffee machine can spend their $800 on that. This is every month that they're spending that amount on their employees. Or they could use it to have a gym membership or join a museum. This is for an entirely remote working setup. So that's an interesting, I suppose, reassignment of money that was already being spent on office perks when everyone was working in the office. So it's a sort of enrichment of one's life away from the office. I think that's brilliant. But we've talked a bit about actual perks, but just to have a more overarching conversation, perks fit into a much wider thing we might call hygiene. Can you explain that a bit? Because it's really interesting how it fits into how we think about pay and how we work. Yes. Well, this goes back to uh, Frederick Hertzberg, who was an American psychologist who wrote about hygiene factors at work, by which he meant things like basically adequate pay, adequate shelter, having the things that you need just to do your work. And this is a baseline that he considered to be necessary before you got to the so-called extrinsic motivators of bonuses and some of the additional perks that we've been talking about. I mean, I think what's interesting, I suppose, about the post-pandemic or the emerging from the pandemic is that actual hygiene is now a hygiene factor. You don't want to come back to a workplace that is unhygienic for very obvious reasons. Well, that's great. And that takes us back. Let's hear a bit more from Alicia Reese at Steelcase. I think people have lived this life of more flexibility when they've been working from home. So that's the starting point. They want flexibility and they want more control over their days. And we keep saying it's like we've opened this box and you can't close it again. And I think first and foremost, actually, more so than ever before, employees are really concerned about safety. No one's really spoken about the spread of disease in spaces before, but I think we're, we're now in this era of pandemic awareness and actually they want to make decisions that make them feel safe and it's not just safety from a physical perspective but also from a psychological perspective as well. Which brings me to the, the bigger question around perks at the moment which is is it right to offer perks to encourage people back into workplaces at the moment? I'm kind of in two minds about it. Well I think as you've discussed the ability to jog people across the threshold, literally, in the case of coming back to the office, is one aspect. But you obviously have to equalise that. If you're a company like the majority that are planning to run things in a hybrid way, you need to be ensuring that actually you've levelled that for people across the company. You're not simply saying you can have this big cash bonus for 
reappearing in the office unless you're just trying to force everybody back. And that, of course, is a counterweight. It doesn't necessarily help to be saying to people, you'll get this big gift if you cross the threshold because it feels more forced than allowing them to make their own minds up. So there are questions of autonomy here. I mean, the other thing worth bringing in is sometimes it's the very simple things that encourage people to do their work wherever they're doing it. There's some work that Theresa Amabile and Stephen Kramer did, which looks at projects and long-running projects and how you encourage people to do better at those projects. And sometimes it was very simple things, you know, the appearance of a senior manager to pat you on the back. I think they talked about having a, a bottle of water, free bottle of water handed out to the project team, encourage them to go the next step to continue with the project. So you don't have to lavish perks on people to get them to do their work. We're quite easily pleased, in other words, as we workers. Are. We are. I've been known to work for cookies. <laughs> Me too. But there's a whole new wave of kind of post-pandemic perks coming through now, which are often focused on financial things like debt advice, financial advice, and also better medical insurance. Do you think this is going to stick? It seems to be a real shifting of priority, and it's coming from staff. Staff are demanding these things. Well, I think this wider definition of well-being that we've touched on is interesting because what intrigued me at the very beginning of the of lockdowns was the way in which big companies were very quick to recognize that mental health was going to be an important part of coming through this better or even just surviving it and they activated or accelerated programs that were already underway to encourage better mental well-being for me the question is once you've taken that step can you keep First of all, can you afford to keep all the other areas, including the ones that you've mentioned, uh, as a wider definition of ensuring the mental well-being of staff? And secondly, is it effective? Are you going then too deeply into the lives of your employees? There are some things they might not want you to know about or indeed help with. And if you did start helping them, how deep do you go with debt advice? How far do you go then about bailing people out of bad debts if if you need them as a member of staff? And that finally comes down to just the supply and demand. You know, if you can't get the staff and that is the way that you can get them, we haven't really talked about that. In a war for talent, you might be prepared to offer more in order to lure staff over to your way of thinking. I think I take a slightly more basic view than that. I think, you know, just coming to the office and being with people is a huge perk in itself for me. And I think the the water cooler that we've missed, I know it's been talked about a lot, but the kitchen as the hub of the office is going to be massive in future. So I think a well-stocked kitchen, are you listening, FT, with premium tea and cookies, Andrew, I think something as simple as that is going to be really key in the future of work. Thanks to Andrew Hill and Alicia Rees from Steelcase. If you want to read Andrew's article on perks, just search ft.com for bagpipes and you'll find it. We'll put a link in the show notes as well. And there's also an article by my colleague Charlotte Middlehurst about the new perks that are often financial, and we'll put that in the show notes too. Do get in touch with us at workingit at ft.com or directly with me at Isabel Berwick on Twitter and Instagram. This was a novel production for the Financial Times, with thanks to our producer, Anna Sinfield, executive producer, Joe Wheeler, with research from Pippa Smith. We have editorial direction from the FT's own Renee Kaplan. 
This has been Working It from the Financial Times. I'm Isabel Berwick. Thank you for listening. 